Run to win. If you're new, let me just read for you first our key passage. We've got six messages coming. Uh, This is week three, so we're roughly halfway through that. And everything we're talking about is really sort of based on the idea that comes out of this text. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 24. Man down, they got it. All right, here we go. Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race? But only one receives the prize. Run in such a way to win the prize. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything, but they do it to receive a perishable crown. We, an imperishable crown. So, I don't run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. That is the big idea for this message. God wants you to win. God wants you to win. How many of you want to be a winner? I sure hope every hand goes up. If not, I'm going to pray for the spirit of loser to get broke off of you today. Uh, we don't, we, God doesn't want you to lose. He wants you to win. And he's given us his word to help lead us and guide us in how we do that. So what we've done is we've sort of, we've sort of taken your life, you're welcome, and broken it into six different segments that we think sort of represent the whole of who you are. And so we've, we've broken it up into spiritual health physical health, financial health, emotional health, mental health, and relational health. So in week one, we started out by talking about spiritual health. How many know that's the foundation? If your spiritual health isn't where it needs to be, everything else is going to suffer. So there is something that's more important than everything else, and it is your spiritual health. Last week, Pastor Stephen was here, and he talked to us about physical health. And no, I did not ask him to come and talk because that happens to be the area that Pastor Nate needs to focus on the most. Uh, but that, you know, if you were like, that's the elephant in the room. Our pastor probably could use a little of that physical health. Yes, he could. That's not why he was here, although we did have a little joke. And if you were in here when he said, um, you know, the elephant in the room will soon be a thoroughbred because he knows I'm really focusing this year, 2023, on trying to get myself a little more healthy. We've all got something that we need to grow in. So as we go through this, I want to just throw this slide up for you. We've created this run to win wheel of life, if you will, and it reflects all six segments. We passed these out last week. If you weren't here, you can get one from our host stand, which is just top of the stairs to the right on your way out. Um, It looks like this, and you can fill it out. I'll show you mine. This is my run to win wheel. So I went around and I'm kind of looking going, okay, so one through 10, how am I doing at these things? How am I doing at them? And I want to encourage you to prayerfully do that. You don't have to show this to anybody. You can if you want to. You don't have to show this to anybody. This is between you and Jesus. And when you look at it, you'll see Christ is right in the circle. And here's why. Jesus is not a part of your life. Jesus should be at the center of your life as a Christian. Everything you do should permeate out of your relationship with Jesus and your understanding of God's word. So we're not looking at your relationship with Christ as one segment. Now your spiritual health, which is what you're doing about that, that is a segment. But Jesus is at the center. Everything hangs on him. And guess what? He's interested in every part. He's not only interested in your spiritual health. He's interested in your emotional health. He's interested in your physical health. He cares about your financial health. There's not a part of your life that Jesus is not concerned with. And the truth is, there's not a part of your life that his word doesn't speak to. And so that's kind of what we're doing. I encourage you, if you didn't get one of those, go ahead and get one and fill that out. So with that in the background, today we're going to talk about financial health because it's a key part of your life. How many of you can get by with no money? 
Like you don't need a bank account. You don't need a dollar bill. That's what I thought. So money is a part of everything we do. That's why we're going to go and look at how God's word speaks to it. And then next week we'll move into some other topics. But we're talking about money today because, frankly, a lot of people struggle with it. A lot of people struggle with managing money. Most people aren't raised to manage money. Same in the first service. You know, there's some crazy things that they teach in school these days. If they could cancel some of those classes and teach people how to, like, balance their bank account, do their taxes, stuff like that, that might be a good thing. How many wish they would have taught you that in school? You had to figure it out the first time. You're like, what's this thing in the mail that looks scary and official? What do I do with it? You don't even know what to do with it. We, we have to figure this stuff out as we go. It's crazy. And even those who are trained, maybe you're in a house and you've been trained how to manage money. Maybe your parents opened you a checking account. They do all that. The truth about that is, same thing. A lot of people, even among those who are trained and equipped, they're trained and equipped according to the ways of the world other than the ways of God. And so a lot of times, even those people who have gotten some training, they have to be realigned to what does God's word say about it. So today we're going to spend some time uh, looking into this. And again, if managing money is hard for you, hear me. This, this message is to help you, not to harm you. If you're awesome at this and you're like, I probably should have just stayed home and got ready for my Super Bowl party. I have no problems managing money. You should join a small group because somebody there is going to need your help. And you probably need help that they can give you. But we're going to look at this because God... God has said that he wants to have life and life more abundantly. No, it's not a prosperity message, but God does want us to prosper. He wants you to prosper even as your soul prospers. Who would like to prosper in the Lord and what he has for you? All right, so let's get into this. We're going to first take a look at five principles, and then we'll look at a few practices. How I many know you got to have a principle that guides you and then a practice to walk it out? So five biblical principles for financial health. Number one, <coughs> this is where it starts. The principle is honor. Honor. The Bible teaches us that we should honor God in all aspects of our financial lives. Many people, here's the thing, many, many people want God's blessing on their finances, but they don't care to honor him with their finances. Other people want God to send provision and they don't want to participate. So it's like they're, you know, waiting for the windfall, right? And God can do that. Sometimes a check shows up in the mail you weren't expecting. I've had it happen to me. I've heard stories of it happening to others. That happens. But how many know a check that shows up in the mail you weren't expecting, that's not the plan. That's not even a plan. That's outside the sphere of any plan you may have to honor God, to manage all of the things that we're going to talk about today. But what you can do is you can make a plan to honor God. And I've mentioned this passage before, and we'll talk about it again in a little more depth. But I want to show you where we get this principle from. And it's in the first part of the Bible, Genesis chapter 4, talking about Cain and Abel. It's a scripture passage and a story that confuses some people. I'm going to give it to you, say a few things about it, and then we'll keep going. So it says this, beginning verse 2, Now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel's offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious and despondent. Notice what it says about Cain's offering. It says this, Cain presented, what does it say right before it? In the course of time. You know what in the course of time means? That means whenever I feel like it. In the course of time, whenever I get around to it. In the course of time, I'm a little busy right now, but I'll put that on my list 
And when I get some time, maybe I'll do that. It's sort of like these curtains that my wife has been wanting me to hang in my daughter's bedroom. So I, I made this mistake of hanging some blackout shades in our master bedroom. And I guess I did a better job of it than I should have because once my wife saw those, she's like, oh, these are great. We should put these up in Ellie's room too. And so here we go. We got stuff for Ellie and I need to get them done. But one of the things I forgot when I was hanging those shades, my dad taught me a very important lesson early in life. I've shared this with some of you before, but he told me this. He said, son, listen, whatever you do, always do it to the best of your ability. Always work hard, give it everything you got. But don't ever be good at something you don't want to do. You know what I'm saying? Come on, you've experienced that before. So, um, so I roofed a house once and made sure I was bad at it because I never wanted to do that again. Uh, but turns out, turns out I could do some shades. And so my wife's asking me to do these shades. You know what I'm telling her? I'll get to it in the course of time. When I get around to it, I'll get around to it. And so, you know, it's funny. Now I'm probably going to have to do that instead of watching the Super Bowl tonight because we've talked about it. But this is what happened. This is why Cain's offering was a problem because it was whenever he felt like it. Whenever he felt like it. And by the way, ladies, when your husband tells you he'll do something, you don't have to remind him every six months. I promise he'll get around to it. But, but what you want is you want him to do it right now. And when we ask someone to do something that needs to be done, we want them to do it now. And it does actually become sometimes a little bit of an issue of honor and like respect to do something when you say you're going to do it or when it needs to be done. And here, as it relates to this offering, we see what happened to Cain. But notice what it says and doesn't say about Abel. With Abel, it says he brought some of his what born? Firstborn, not a trick question. There you go. Thank you, Ryan. It's, he brought his firstborn, the first of what he had. It says nothing about in the course of time. Everything that we read seems to suggest that as soon as he got an increase from what God gave him to steward, he came and brought something to the Lord. And this is what we call the principle of first. This principle of first shows up right at the beginning of the Bible. It's here before the law of Moses. It shows up in the law of Moses. And it continues beyond the law of Moses into the New Testament and in the context of the local church. So we're gonna talk about that in a few minutes, but the point is, you have to make a commitment to yourself. Whatever I have belongs to God, and therefore, every time I have an increase, I'm gonna honor God by giving back part of that to Him. That's a principle, there's a practice associated we'll talk about in a minute. Number two, second principle is stewardship. The Bible teaches that we are not owners, but we are stewards of the resources that God has given us. And by the way, this isn't just about money. This is about everything, your time, your talent, your treasure, everything you have came from God and he's called you to steward it well. That means to take care of it, right? We're responsible for managing everything God gave us wisely. And let me just say it this way, hear me. If you use everything you have on you, you're not a good steward. If you use everything you have on you, you're not a good steward. And here's why I say that, 1 Peter 4.10. Just as each one of us has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. Listen, part of the reason that you have what you have is for others. God gives us what we need for us, and he gives us some of what we need to be able to give to other people. And again, that could be your time. That could be a talent that you have, an ability that you have. Turns out I can hang shades. Please don't call me, though. I don't want to be good at it. It could be your financial resources. Oftentimes, as it is for our lives, it's all of them. 
God's given those things to you for you, yes, for your family, but also for others. All right, number three, third principle, diligence. The Bible teaches us that work is actually biblical. What does Proverbs 6.10 say? It says right here, a little sleep, a little slumber, slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And your poverty will come like a robber, your need like a bandit. Pastor Stephen hit this pretty hard last week, but here's what you need to understand. Diligence in working is a biblical concept. Diligence in working is a biblical concept. Part of the reason that people don't have a good theology of work is because they don't actually have a good theology of heaven or what happens in the next life. Here's what I mean by that. Work is not the result of sin. It's, it's part of creation. So let me just go there for a second. The idea of heaven is not that you're going to sit on a cloud and pluck a golden harp while the angels sing beautifully all around you. That's not what heaven's all about. The Bible paints a different picture of a new world. God's going to take this earth. He's going to remake it into a global garden of Eden. That is actually sound biblical eschatology or theology about the things that are to come, okay? And once we understand that, we understand that you and I, in that new world, we're going to have bodies, and they're going to work a little better than the ones we have now, but they're going to work, and God is going to have things for us to steward and to care for. The Bible tells us some people will rule over cities, some will rule over small territories. We are going to have things to take care of and work to do. And again, work didn't start when sin entered the world. It just got harder. Now when you work the ground, the ground works back against you. Now when you try to get work done in an economic sense, you have to deal with schemes and dishonesty and manipulation. And when you try to work with other people, you got to deal with their sin and their flesh. And oh, by the way, yours is in the mix too. So sin has caused all the work we do to be difficult, but it's not the reason that we work. It's not because of sin. So just get used to it. You're going to be working for all of eternity if you're with Jesus. And I tell you, that's better than the other option. So let's just get used to working and enjoy it and work as worship unto the Lord. Okay, number four. I want to talk to you about contentment. Contentment. Now, we have to talk about the difference between contentment and complacency. The Bible does not teach complacency, but it does teach contentment. It doesn't say that we should be constantly striving to have more, but it does say we should constantly be striving to achieve unity, to achieve righteousness, to please the Lord. So the difference between complacency and contentment is this. I can be content with what I have, knowing that everything I have comes from the Lord. It's all a blessing from Him. And one more thing, one more dollar, a little nicer car, isn't where I'm going to find my ultimate joy and fulfillment. My joy and fulfillment comes from the Lord, and in Him I have contentment. Now, having said that, God has given me a mind. He's given you a mind. He's given you hands. He's given you intellect. He's given you a body. He's given you resources to steward. And complacency would be to say, I don't actually care if I do anything else with all of this. I'm good. I got what I need. I got me in mind. Oh, I know there's other people, and there's more I could do, but I'm just not going to do it. That is not contentment. That's complacency. And that is actually sinful. But contentment is important. It's important for us to grasp. Paul says it this way in Philippians 4. He says, in whatever you do, in any and all circumstances, be content. Be content. That's the point. We have to be content because when we do that, when we learn to be content with what we have, what we're saying is, God, you matter most. Your word matters most. Not the next thing I'm going to attain. Not the next job I'm going to get. Next gig I'm going to score. Next, whatever the thing is that you're after. Getting that thing should not be what brings you contentment. The person of Jesus should bring you contentment. 
And yet, in that, we should still strive to make the most out of the life that God has given us as a great gift. And by the way, if that's not enough for you, also hear me say this. What you have now is not all you will always have. Here's what I mean. Matthew 6, 19, 21 says, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moss and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. If you're involved in leadership in the business world, there's a pretty good chance whoever you lead also is paid to follow. <laughs> in the church world, it's not quite like that. You, 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 as you build a church, this is a church family, and we all contribute. And I've lost count over the years, sadly, of how many times I bumped into, well, I'm not doing that. I don't get paid to do that. <clears throat> and here's the thing. If that's, if that's the attitude in the family, you're not going to get paid now, but you might not get paid later either. And Jesus is saying, I have rewards for you. Store up your treasures in heaven. What you do now in good faith unto others and unto the Lord as an act of worship will cause rewards in heaven to be stored up for you. There's a great little book. I should have had to make the slide on that instead of the doggone Philadelphia Eagles crazy fan. But there's a book if you want to write this down. It's called The Life God Rewards by a guy named Bruce Wilkerson. If you've been around for a while, you may be familiar with his more popular book called The Prayer of Jabez. But he wrote another book called A Life God Rewards, a very small book, a little small purple book. And it goes through and explores all the scriptures that talk to us about how God rewards us. And here's the point. He does it. He does reward us. And what you do now matters both for now and for the not yet. Now, speaking of storing up treasures for heaven, the last bit to talk about is generosity. So the Bible teaches us that we should be generous with our resources, first in giving back to the storehouse or the church, and then to help others in need. Others in need, let's look at this. Proverbs eleven twenty four through 25 says, one person gives freely yet gains more. You ever notice that? You ever notice how generous people tend to have more? I've seen this my whole life and I, I never could quite understand. Man, like the more they give, the more they seem to have. It's right here in Proverbs. It's been here for thousands of years for us to find out. And then it says, another one withholds what is right, which really means they hold on to what's theirs, only to become poor. Holding on to what God put in your hand is like putting a bird in your hand and squeezing it until it dies. Okay, that's what holding on will do. A person who gives water will receive water. That's a principle that it's talking about. Now, why do we want to be generous? Because we are Christians. The word Christian means little Christ. We are to be people who follow Jesus. And no one in the history of humanity has ever been more generous than Jesus. The Bible tells us that he gave up his life for us. By the way, the only reason he could even do that was because he first gave up his throne in heaven to come to earth, to be clothed in the humility of humanity and experience life as we do, and yet live a perfect life, which you cannot, which I cannot. And then he gave up his life for us. And you want to talk about generous. His promise is that if we come after him, we follow him, we believe on him, that he will extend and grant to us eternal life. How many of you have ever been given a gift better than that? Let me see your hand. I hope there's none. If there is, I want you to come finish the message. You got something better than eternal life given to you. I don't think so. No one is more generous than God. No one is more generous than Jesus. And here's the deal. You cannot be like Jesus and not be a generous person. 
that's just the fact of it. Now, with those five principles in mind, I want to quickly move and talk about seven practices of financial health. So we have principles and precepts. That's sort of the why we do what we do. Then we have practices, okay? And the practices are the how-to, the nuts and bolts, the things that we actually do in response to the principles that we believe. All right, number one goes along with the number one of honor, number one, tithing, or giving a portion of our income back to the storehouse. It's a way that we demonstrate honor and obedience to God. Let me show you what the Bible says quickly about tithing. Malachi 3.10 says this, bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing for you without measure. Now people ask me all the time, Pastor, do I, do I have to tithe or can I just give wherever I want to give? I mean, I give to some other organizations. Isn't that the same thing? Well, I would say this, giving and supporting other things is a p- component of being generous. I personally have had a burden for the persecuted church and I have sowed seeds financially for many, many years to help support efforts to care for those who have lost everything for the sake of the gospel. That's something that I would encourage you to do. There may be other organizations and work out there, kingdom building work that you give to. But I'll say this, that kind of generosity is not the same thing as honoring God with first fruits and bringing to the storehouse. Your place of community, your place where you are fed. And by the way, the place that you're actually committed to. I gotta talk about this while I talk about tithing. A lot of times, because we have a consumeristic mentality around how we decide where we're going to go to church, we just come and we look around and go, oh, there's some candy there, there's some balloons, there's some nice people with a smile on their face, that music's pretty good, the preaching's okay, he gets better every week though, so we're going to stay and hang in there with them. And we sort of kind of have our list of all the things that we're looking for in the church. And a lot of times, it's really wild to me, but a lot of times, praying and seeking God about, is this the church I'm supposed to be a part of, doesn't ever factor in. When it does, and you realize God is calling you to be a part of a specific family of faith, you make a mutual commitment to that. And if you're considering that, you should, Ryan will tell you later about our membership you, and we'll talk about what that looks like. But when you make a commitment to a church family, and a church family makes a commitment to you, that place becomes the storehouse for your life. And that is the place where you bring the first 10%. Because guess what? I'm going to test that by stepping on your toes sometimes and giving you something to consider to go, I don't know if I feel like giving my money here today. This is why the Bible doesn't teach giving your tithe. It teaches returning your tithe. Take it back to God where it came from. You get to give from the rest. So there is a difference. This message is not about tithing, so I'm going to move on from that quickly. But here's the deal. Financial health starts with honoring God first, and honoring God first means bringing the first fruits back to the house of God. Number two, the next practice, budgeting. These are two very foundational things. You do these two things well, you can build on it. Budgeting, the Bible teaches that we should be wise with our resources and plan for the future. Look at Luke 14, 28. For which of you wanting to build a tower does at first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? That's why we ain't signing no contracts with the guy building the building until his construction costs are locked. Do you hear me? We have to have the details. We have to understand how it's going to play out before we commit to do it. Otherwise, after he laid the foundation and can't finish it, onlookers will begin to ridicule him and say, this man started to build and he wasn't able to finish. How many have seen that? Building gets started. When they got to finish that thing? It's been sitting there for like that for a long time. Sometimes stuff happens, but sometimes it's because you didn't count the cost. You've got to budget. I'll just say this. Again, I'm not a money manager, but I'll just say this. If you don't have a plan for your money, then your plan is failure. You have to have a plan. 
You're not just going to trip your way in to a good situation as it relates to your money. You've got to have a plan. It's not easy, but it's worth it. Number three, saving. The Bible tells us to be prepared for the future. How many have ever stood over an ant bed and thought, I wonder what I can learn from these ants? Probably not, because you're smart, and ants bite you, so you stay away from them. That's what you do. But the truth is, you can learn something from the ants. Proverbs 6 says this, go to the ant, you slacker. By the way, you think I step on your toes, just read your Bible every now and then. It'll do it a lot harder than I will. All right, go to the ant, you slacker. Observe its ways and become wise. Without a leader, administrator, or ruler, it prepares its provisions in the summer and gathers its food during harvest. You know what ants do for a living? They prepare for next. That's all they do. Ants are just always preparing for next, preparing for next, preparing for next. They're going out and getting what they can while they can and storing it and saving it for next. And the Bible's telling us in this wise book of Proverbs, we can learn something for them. And here's the deal. This is impossible to do without a budget. So these things do kind of build upon themselves. But in your budget, make a plan for savings. Uh, uh, someone else was telling me earlier, you, you should tell the people, you need a plan to save before you plan to spend. And that's right. You want to get things in order. Some people are thinking, man, I would save, but I just don't have enough. And if I can't save enough, then it doesn't make sense to save. I'll tell you my suggestion. Again, not a financial expert here, but there are some. Save something. Start somewhere. If all you can save is $10 a month, save $10 a month. If you can save $300 a month, save that. If you can save a grand a month, save that. I don't know what your situation is. But what I am telling you, you should make a plan to save something or there will be nothing thing when you get there. And again, if you plan your savings before you're spending, then your numbers are going to look a little bit better. All right. So budgeting, saving, those both sort of roll in to this next practice, which is called managing. There are actually ways to manage, but the Bible warns against taking on unnecessary debt and encourages us to live within our means as a way of managing our money. Look what Proverbs 22, 7 says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. Managing your money, it starts with budgeting and then saving. And then once you got those rocks in place, then you can begin to look at leveraging assets and things like that. Maybe managing money for you means never getting into debt. Maybe managing money for you means using debt strategically to actually increase wealth through borrowing. Maybe managing money for you means I wasn't managing, now I have debt I can't manage, so I have to come up with a plan to get out of that debt. There's a lot of ways to manage the money, but the point is you have to manage it or it will manage you. Circumstances will manage you. Things you don't want managing you will manage you if you don't manage what you have. This all leads to number five, which is investing. Investing is a principle in scripture. Jesus even uses it when he's talking about the parable of the talents. And he's talking to the one uh, who didn't do anything with his talents that he was given. And when the master comes back, he says, why then didn't you put my money in the bank? And when I would have returned, I would have at least collected interest with it. Investing is something that we should be practicing. Proverbs 21, 20. Precious treasure and oil are in the dwelling of a wise person, but a fool consumes them all. What's the scripture saying? It's saying this. It's foolish to spend and consume everything you have. You should save some, and then you should invest some. I'll say it like this. Like, <clears throat> your budgeting is sort of how you manage the now. Your saving and your investing is how you manage the next. 
all right? It's how you manage the next. And sometimes stuff comes up and you can't invest because life hits you and you get a curveball. Maybe you get laid off. Maybe something else happens that wasn't expected. Me and my family went through a massive income reduction about a year and a half ago, and we're still kind of trying to recover. That's why on my will of life, finances need some work. Not quite as much as physical, but it needs some work more than others because we're still making those adjustments from what took place. Stuff happens, but guess what? If you don't have a plan to manage your way through whatever happens, it's just going to keep happening. The next thing's going to keep happening, and you won't be able to do any of these things. Okay, I got two left for you. Who's still with me? Let me just see a show of hands. You still with me? All right, all right. I know you talk about money. You're like, man, this is like a clinic. I did not sign up for this. Guess what? As I said before, Jesus cares about your whole life, even this. Number six, learning. Like I said, our, our schools teach all kinds of stuff and don't teach half of what we need to know in life. If you're over 30, you know that's true. So you also know that at some point you had to learn something about managing your finances that you weren't taught when probably you should have. And guess what? Learning never stops. It never stops. Proverbs 4, 7. Wisdom is supreme, so get wisdom. And whatever else you get, get understanding. All right? So speaking of investing, invest in yourself. Read a book. Talk to somebody. Learn something about managing money. Now maybe you're sitting here and you're going, Pastor Nate, I don't think you understand, like, I, I got through every math class with a 70, <clears throat> and that was the teacher being nice to me. Like, I don't do numbers well. I don't do money well. I've tried to learn, and when I start reading books, I just my eyes glaze over, and I start listening to lectures, and all of a sudden I forgot everything they said. Hopefully that didn't happen to you during this message, but it probably will. It's okay. But I, you try to learn, and you just can't learn. That's okay. That's the final point. Sometimes trying to learn on your own doesn't work, and what you actually need is some coaching. You need some coaching. You need somebody else who's done the learning for you to sit down and help you learn how to do it. Proverbs 15, 22. A lot of Proverbs for you today. You know why? It's a lot of wisdom, and it's what we need. Plans fail when there is no counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Sometimes you just have to just throw your hands up and go, I don't know what I'm doing. I need some help. So I got a couple people helping me with physical fitness because you know what? The stuff that I could do and get away with when I was 34 instead of 44 doesn't work the same anymore. And things I used to know how to do doesn't work exactly the same. And I've done some learning, but I also need some coaching. So I went and got it. Maybe you need that in this area. And if that's you, if you're thinking, man, I could really use some wisdom, I could really use some coaching, I'm excited to tell you that we are actually able to provide both. We've got a new course coming up uh, next month called Wiser. It's going to teach you how to approach God's resources that he's giving you his way. You're going to get a little bit of wisdom, you get a little bit of coaching. So if you've been sitting here through this message and you're thinking, man, I really need some help. I'm not sure how to do this. I'm kind of getting overwhelmed. This is a lot of lists. Even the numbers in this list are all running together for me. That's how bad I am at numbers. And you need some help. I want to encourage you to sign up. It's limited space. We've got about 20 spots. It's going to happen at our offices on Tuesday nights, uh, led by some folks here in our church that are better at this than others. And I want to encourage you to come. Get involved in this thing. It's going to be just like a small group, and they're going to help you. Not going to beat you up, not going to embarrass you, not going to tell you all the ways that you're a failure, but to help you reorder your financial life according to God's word, according to God's principles, and according to God's practices. As I said earlier, last two things and I'm done. Again, we talk about this because God cares about this. I don't talk about money because I'm trying to get your money. I talk to you about money because Jesus talks about it. 
My job is to not protect you from your Bible, but to give you what the Word says and to help all of us become more like Christ. And that means we eventually work through every single facet of your life, including this one. I also know that when you do things God's way, it works. There are a lot of very wealthy people out there who don't know the Lord and don't care to know Him, but they've built their wealth using His ways, whether they know it or not. Talk to some guys who've been very successful. How'd you do it? It's a lot of the stuff they've done. That's how they do it. God's ways work if you work it. Finally, if you if I wasted your hour here this morning and you already know how to do all this, like I said, man, join a small group if you're not. Get involved in the church. There are people who need your help, and you probably need their help on some other part of the wheel. If you didn't get one, pick one up on your way out. Spend some time in prayer this week with the Holy Spirit. Find what your number is and make a plan to improve it this year. Hopefully the next three weeks will help you out with some of the other stuff, mental, emotional, relational. It's going to be good. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word that is good enough. Thank you for your word that never returns void. Thank you for your word that's always in season, right when we need it. God, we thank you that these are not just ancient words on a page, but a living word from heaven, ready to speak life into our souls and wisdom into our minds to build us up, to guide us, to teach us. Your word says that the gospel itself is the power of God. Your word contains power, power to save, power to heal, power to deliver, and power to make right and to bring our lives into order. Lord, help us to leave no part of our lives unsurrendered and unsubmitted to you. Lord, let us not be content just to learn all about you and then live however we want. Lord, help us number our days and order them according to your ways. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. You can stay connected with us at Vintage.Church or on Facebook by searching Vintage Church TX. At Vintage, we believe church is more than a place or a weekend activity. It's a spiritual family where Jesus is the center of our lives personally and our relationships collectively. If you're in the Liberty Hill area, we would love to have you join us this week. You can learn more about us, our service time, and plan your visit by visiting vintage.church slash Liberty Hill. We hope to see you soon.